my smartest career and money move was? My smartest career and money move was to throw out the window all this old school advice. I think that's really what it was. There were so many people that told me, you know, you need to do A, B, C, and D. I followed that path. And when I, and I still was never able to actually move. I was not able to get promoted. You know, Mm -hmm. they'd say, hey, you need to go take a class. Okay, I took the class. Can I get promoted now? No. Okay, so now you need another degree. Okay, I got another degree. Now what? Well, you really don't have a technical degree. So go get a technical degree. Okay, so I did that. So now three graduate degrees later, you still haven't promoted me. (laughs) I just have a crap ton of student loans and I'm pissed off, but I still don't have another job. So I think when I finally took a risk on myself and realized that it wasn't about the credentials, it wasn't about the graduate degrees, it really was about leveraging my own education and experience in tech spaces and figuring out what roles could play really to my strengths. That's when I was able really to see a whole different opportunity for myself. Welcome to Smart Career and Money Moves, a podcast for professionals seeking fulfillment and purpose in their careers. Each week, we will sit down with experts and trailblazers to discuss the ups and downs of finding and following your passions, whether it's through climbing the corporate ladder, starting a business, or launching a side hustle. So let's get into the show. Today... We have back with another live podcast episode of the Smart Career and Money Moves podcast. I'm doing a live chat with one of my fellow bomb career coach peers who's also creating lots of lovely content here on LinkedIn. She is a career coach, a career and leadership coach. She's helping women position themselves as leaders to get promoted and to make more money. You know, we'd love to talk about that. She has an impressive uh, corporate career. And like I said, she's one of my favorite LinkedIn creators. Welcome to the show, Mr. Lisa Payne Mason. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jerry. I appreciate it. Thanks for the awesome, invite. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining. I can't wait to get into today's topic. I left a little bit of a description of what we're going to talk about, and that was just scratching the surface. But I do want to let you guys know if you are here with us that you can pop your questions in the the chat. I'll be constantly checking those. We can answer some questions for you guys. So as we're going through our chit chat, ask us anything and I'll make sure to get those questions answered. Otherwise, we're just going to have a little kiki session. We're going to get to learn a little more about Miss Talisa and then we're just going to uh, spill some tea like we usually do on the, on the podcast. <laughs> right, right. So I like to start the podcast learning a little bit more about you because people, they read our content, right? And right. we tell our story sometimes. And even me, sometimes I could be following people for years and they're still always a part of their story that I've never heard before. So from my research, I saw that you studied psychology. How did we become a technology leader? Like walk me through that journey. <laughs> All right. So yeah, so my undergraduate degrees in psychology, but let's back it up even further. My whole idea, my plan was I was going to college because I wanted to become a doctor. And when I got to organic chemistry, organic chemistry changed my mind. So I then pivoted into psychology. So yes, my undergraduate degree is in psychology. And then after that, I just began working and it was really weird. I just had a natural kind of affinity for technology and IT. And I started in that space 
And my subsequent positions, I just kind of kept landing into IT spaces. Now, I'm not a coder. I don't program. I have no clue about that. But I do love technology. So Mm -hmm. I know how to talk tech to the tech people. And then I know how to translate that into bit comparable or a consumable language for my business customers. So that's what I do. So you took a non-technical degree and like weaved your way into tech. So many people are struggling with that. So before we leave today, you're going to give us some more gems about how you made that pivot. But one of the other things that I love to, the ways that I love to start the podcast is to ask you to finish the sentence. My smartest career and money move was. My smartest career and money move was to throw out the window all this old school advice. I think that's really what it was. There were so many people that told me, you know, you need to do A, B, C, and D. I followed that path. And when I, and I still was never able to actually move. I was not able to get promoted. You know, Mm -hmm. they'd say, hey, you need to go take a class. Okay, I took the class. Can I get promoted now? No. Okay, so now you need another degree. Okay, I got another degree. Now what? Well, you really don't have a technical degree. So go get a technical degree. Okay, so I did that. So now three graduate degrees later, you still haven't promoted me. (laughs) I just have a crap ton of student loans and I'm pissed off, but I still don't have another job. So I think when I finally took a risk on myself and realized that it wasn't about the credentials, it wasn't about the graduate degrees, it really was about leveraging my own education and experience in tech spaces and figuring out what roles could play really to my strengths. That's when I was able really to see a whole different opportunity for myself. So what role were you in when you decided, I want to be promoted? What role were you in? Okay, so it's my first role because, you know, I'm being greedy all my life. So Okay. Uh, <laughs> first job. Hey, damn. This is cool and all. Thanks for hiring me on the team, but I could lead this team because they're not doing this right. And there has to be a more efficient way to do it. So interestingly enough, kind of at the same time, my manager was thinking the same thing. Hey, I really kind of want to promote you to supervisor of this team mm. because you've kind of come up with some new processes, some ways for us to improve how we're doing some things. And I don't put you in a leadership role. Okay, that was cool, but, you know, maybe that was another $50. They weren't enough. Mm. So, I mean, it was happy initially, but ultimately I knew that I wanted to be in a different place. And so that's when I really began to say, okay, when I look around, you know, I want to be in a director role. What does Mm. it take for me to get there? And that's when I began really trying to do my research, understanding from my peers, my leaders around me, how did you get in this space? Mm -hmm. What is it that I need to do? And that's when I began to start chasing my tip. Before I get into this next question, Have y'all heard the same old school advice about how to get promoted? And if you followed some of those, fell into those traps, drop in the chat, let me know so we can address some of them. So where did you hear this old school advice and when did you decide that same working? Well, so I think I heard it from in doing some of this research that I just talked about because I really wanted to understand like my manager, how did you get promoted? Mm -hmm. What did you have to do? Talk to that person's director, VP, like how did you get promoted? What did you have to do? And so a lot of those conversations, this research all came back to the same common denominator. And it was interesting. It was always something that I didn't have. So it was like at every point that you meet that I met the next rung on the ladder. Then you change the rule. Like it was something else mm. that you had to do. Okay, so I go do that. Oh, uh, well, that's not quite enough. You need to go do this. So every time that happened, I'm accomplishing these things, but it still really is not what's equaling me a real equitable playing field and an opportunity to truly be positioned for promotion. So at the point that I learned 
much later that it really was about building relationships and talking to other people, letting them know what my aspirations were, understanding how I could potentially help them and really how they could help me. And that was really the linchpin and like, oh, this is what I need to do. I need to stop being so private. I need to start talking to people and telling them what I want to do. Oh, now I got it. (laughs) I mean, you hit on a bunch of key things there. You got to stop. I call it being like super humble. You're doing your job well, but don't nobody know what you're doing. And then it's the other piece of asking people how they got where they are and what are the keys to doing that. Why do you think people want to get promoted? Should we even care about it? Why do we even want to get promoted? Yes, I think people should want to get promoted. Absolutely no, without 100% doubt that women need to get promoted because nine times out of 10, we're working the freaking hardest. Mm. We're doing all the things. So we're doing the job of Ronnie, Robbie, Vic, Ricky, and Mike, whatever it is. <laughs> we're doing the job of all these people. So you need to get promoted. But I think there is a myth, as we talked about earlier, where women believe, you know, the results will speak for you. Well, your results mm-hmm. don't speak for you. They just become used to And it's an expectation. Yeah, I know Jerry's going to work 50 hours a week. I know Jerry's going to deliver results on time and within budget. But Jerry's never told me she wanted to be promoted. She just works Mm. real hard. So let's keep giving her all the work because she's a hard worker. And we don't really care how long it's going to take because guess what? She's going to do anything she has to do to get it done. And we believe that there's this whole thing that someone's going to come tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, Jerry, it's your turn. That's just not how it happens. That's an absolute myth. And the difference between women and men, why I'm so passionate about this space is because men go knock on the door. Hey, Bob, I want a Mm -hmm. job. I want to be in another job. I need to be a VP within the next eight months. And I need to be making X amount of money. That's a conversation that they have. Right. And whoever that person is on the other side of the test, they're trying to figure out, hey, because we want this guy to stay on our team, we need to figure out how to make that happen. And those are just not conversations that women are often. One, I think we don't know to have the conversation. And that's one thing. But I think in another place, they, they may not know how to position the conversation as well as why they are the person that deserves it and why it's time. Yeah. You said something very interesting. And I think it's very important to highlight that. And I've had this conversation with a couple of my other guests, but it's like, everybody's just doing their job, like including your manager. So your manager is, they're doing their job. They're expecting you to just push out deliverables, push out deliverables. And it's like, if I have a team of four people and they're all pushing out deliverables, how do I know who wants the leadership role, right? I don't want to just pick somebody out of the blue. And that's typically where I think people who haven't, been promoted or who haven't had leadership experience where they get confused that like the manager is going to decide who should take the next step and that all of these things when in reality, it's much more easier if you come to them, like you said, and say, Hey, I'm interested in this role and a good manager is going to help you make it happen. Absolutely. But yeah, it's definitely, you have to to talk about, I just saw a note in the chat from somebody said, It hit me hard about being private. Mm. I think that being private also, in some cases, and I I was, I can speak for a black woman. I think in our culture, it's around being private. You know, you were taught, I was raised to be private. You don't tell people what happened at home. You just go deal with whatever you deal with. But that is really the opposite approach. If in fact you want to get promoted, you have to, to your point, manage up. There are multiple components to managing up. We may not have time to talk about that today, but one of those is about telling your manager where you want to be. I mean, they Mm -hmm. owe it to you. Their role is to coach and develop you. That's Mm -hmm. why they're there. That's what they're supposed to do. Now, they may be doing other things, but their primary role is to coach and develop their team. With that, 
that means they need to be just as invested as you are now. They are never be the advocate that you are for your career. You are, in fact, your number one cheerleader. Nobody's mm-hmm. ever going to care about your career like you, but you have to bring that to them to the table. So you said another thing that was really interesting about the differences between men and women and how we go about promoting ourselves and, and asking for the next step. So bring me to that moment where your passion was ignited when you said to yourself, I need to help more women become leaders in corporate. Oh my goodness. Well, so you really never know, Jerry, how many people see you or how many Mm. people watch you. And so what I began to notice over the last few years prior to me starting my company was women would come to me and say, hey, tell me about your career. Tell me, how did you get here? What were the things that you have done? And so after having tons and tons of these consultations, I was like, is this really a problem for y'all? Like, mm. are you, you didn't notice? And so I began, it's, that's what it really hit me. Like, women don't understand. Nobody is really telling you how to navigate corporate spaces. I see, you know, one of the challenges that I have on LinkedIn, you talked about content, is that there's so many people that are out here selling what I'll call a pipe dream. And this is me because I'm raw and uncut, but selling the dream of, hey, you need a new resume. Make sure you get your new resume. Piss on a resume. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you need one. But at the end of the day, a resume is not going to, one, sustain you. It's just your key to get in the door. Right. Mm -hmm. But you better know how to advocate for yourself when you get to that interview table. And then most importantly, you need to know that once you get the job, you're the successful candidate. Then how do you navigate that new team, that new culture to continue to navigate and elevate yourself to the next level? Mm -hmm. If nobody talks to you about how to manage conflict, then you don't know how to do it. And so most often you end up in this perpetual, it's just not working. Corporate America is not for me. No, corporate America can be for you. You Mm -hmm. just have to know the rules on how to play the game. And they're not out there. You can't Google them. You can't. Absolutely. So a couple of things. You can't Google them because for most of us, a lot of us are first generation corporate. We literally had nobody to talk to. (laughs) I know I'm the first person in my family to have a 401k. Everybody else, government or something, they had a pension. They literally totally different space. And so what are we, millennials? I mean, everybody from millennial on, you didn't have nobody to ask. And so I love that we can uh, share that with people now and give them the the tools. Because the other thing you mentioned is the resume. And you know why people want to believe that the resume is the answer? They want to believe it because it's easy. It's easy. To well, I ain't gonna say it's easy because I'm not gonna downplay it, but it's Absolutely. easier. Yeah, it's easier to put some things on paper because that allows you to still be private, like you said. It allows Absolutely. you to still be private, but it's like when you have to speak and speak your expertise and get people to understand you very well, that's a totally different skill set. And so I too believe people shouldn't fall into fall into that trap. I got one more question for Talisa, and then we're going to get into some of these questions. And we got some other juicy topics to talk about. We're going to get into some of her content that she has produced. Actually, I got two questions. What is your number one piece of advice for women who are struggling to position themselves as a leader at work? So my number one advice would be first to make sure that you count all your wins. I think many times my clients, when we talk, the biggest thing is they're looking for this monumental thing that happened before they write it down and take a note. Mm -hmm. But every time you get an email, thanks for doing that. We appreciate you. Thank you. I call it just my kudos folder. 
Every time somebody says it, just put it there. Make that note and make that become a habit because what those things ultimately become, opportunities for you to craft career stories, one for your interview, but also for your advocacy story. When you go in and talk to your manager, sometimes when we become so accustomed to doing a good job, we normalize things that most people can't even accomplish. They can't yeah. even figure out. And so you need to count all wins so that then you will become and have data to support why you are X, Y, and Z. Absolutely. So you touched on a bunch of things. We struggled. We were private. And then we're also not keeping what we've accomplished, which makes it easy for people to pass us over. I mean, we're almost asking (laughs) to be passed over because nobody else is keeping track of what you've done. And that kind of leads me to my next question. Who do you think is to blame for women being passed over so frequently? I don't I don't know if I would say who is the to blame? I would just say, I think it's the system. The system okay. was not created for mm-hmm. us, right? It wasn't designed to say, hey, women, as you navigate your workspace, you should do A, B, and C. You should always be thinking about your next step. You should always be building relationships. You should always be trying to leverage any stretch opportunity that you can, and you should always count your wins. Nobody's out there telling you that. I have an MBA. I told you I have three graduate degrees. Mm-hmm. They don't teach you that in grad school. They don't tell you about that. They're telling you about how to do a CapEx. Okay, whatever. (laughs) How, in fact, do I deal with this idiot in the boardroom that I just said what I said, and he repeated it, and then everybody started clapping? Tell me how to deal with that. How do I deal with that professionally and boldly, but still uh, courageous? How do I do those things? How, in fact, do I disagree with Billy in this same boardroom? Because I know that my data supports he's wrong. How do I Mm -hmm. do that? And not feeling strange about it, you know, because as women, yeah, our natural inclination is to nurture, but sometimes in the boardroom, like you said, I have a technical mindset. So for me, data is no problem. Somebody brings something up, I'm going to hit you with some facts. I don't feel anything about it. It's just the facts of the facts. But I know that that's a struggle for some women, you know, to kind of, to kind of lean in on that. Let's see what some of these questions are from the audience. And then we're going to get into some of your uh, content. Champagne says, how do you navigate being rejected when you voice your opinion or make known your goals in mind and how to get there? Or if you apply for that position, especially for something you know you're qualified for. I've been in that position before. So how do you navigate being rejected when you voice your opinion? Sure. So, you know, I think one thing, there's this old adage that says rejection is redirection, right? Mm -hmm. My belief system says what's for me is for me. That's one. So that's blanket. But two, I believe that most often you have to show up for yourself with the right energy, the right passion around the role. I can tell you a story about applied for a job, maybe similar to Champagne's story, but applied for a job, knew I met all the qualifications and I didn't get the job. And when I went to have a follow-up meeting with the hiring manager, I'm like, hey, why you didn't hire me? Like, what happened? Is it something I need to work on? And of course, I didn't position it that way. But essentially, I really wanted to understand what were the things that I needed to work on so that if this another opportunity presented itself, what could make me the ideal or the successful candidate? And the primary thing that I remember from 20 years ago was he said, you didn't demonstrate any passion. And I was like, 
was I supposed to jump up and down, like beat my mm-hmm. hand on the desk? Like, what did you want me to do? You ask a question, I gave you an answer. At the time, I did not realize how important my authenticity was, how important my personality was. Because a hiring mm-hmm. manager, for whatever job it is, there's two things that they want to understand. One, that you can solve their problems. And two, that you won't blow up their team. That's it. That's all they want to know. They don't care. And it, the subject matter doesn't matter. It, mm-hmm. It's not about the subject matter because I can teach you any subject. But can you solve my problems? And when I say, can you solve, does that mean you have all the answers? Not necessarily, but you have the gut, the grit, Mm. right, to go and figure it out or leverage someone that does. And then secondly, that you're not going to be like a bull in a china shop, that you have the emotional intelligence to communicate and collaborate with the people on the team. Because you don't get, it's kind of like family, right? We don't get to pick them. We get who we get. Right. (laughs) It's certainly like family. So you got to figure out how to work with them. Here's the cheat code to making a career pivot or to getting promoted. First, you need the skills to do the job or the ability to learn how to. Second, you have to be able to market and sell yourself as the best candidate for the job. I created the Career Brand Accelerator as a professional development program to help you become a master at marketing and selling your skills so that you will always have the tools you need to make a career change. Cause let's be honest, It's easy to get a new degree or certification or even to revamp your resume, but nothing quite prepares you for establishing your brand and for finding out what makes you unique so that you can stand out from the other job candidates in today's competitive job market. I have good news for you. You don't have to navigate your career on your own. Visit thecareerbrandaccelerator.com to learn more about how to pivot into your next role and how to level up your career without new degrees and certifications and without applying for tons of jobs online. My advice, Champagne, because the the next part of her question, I guess she was saying, how do you navigate being rejected when you make your opinion known that you want to go for that next level role Mm. and when you feel qualified for it? And so similar to what Talisa is saying, Sometimes it's not up to them. I'm not a fan of allowing, just like you encounter someone who didn't think you were ready for the role. That will always happen. Don't let it stop you. Because that's just one person's opinion. And every hiring manager will hire based on a different feeling that they get. And so I would say, keep going. Maybe that's not the route for you. Maybe that's not the route for you. It doesn't mean that's not the job for you. You're not qualified for the promotion or whatever. I always say, find another route. In one of my podcasts with uh, Yvette Simpson, she said, well, when one door is closed, go through the window. <laughs> so that's what I suggest. Absolutely. Valerie here has a very interesting situation here. She was saying she went up for a promotion and she was told by her dean that in order to get the promotion, uh, she needed a certification. She immediately enrolled in the program for $6,000. It's been four years and still no promotion. She's looking for another job because she's been passed over and she doesn't think she'll ever get the promotion in this district where she is. What what would you do to Lisa? <laughs> wow. So I'm not necessarily familiar enough with the hierarchy within the education system mm-hmm. to talk about other roles or comparable positions to the one that you apply for. But kind of to your earlier point, one, I would continue to try for other roles. Maybe it's not the, I think you said the AP position, but are there other opportunities? Are there other roles? Now, one of your questions, I thought I saw that you said something about going for an additional certification. I would not. I do not support that. I believe that if you've already kind of, is that what she said? They told her to do it. She did. And now four years later, they, they didn't give her the promotion. 
So this one, though, she said, considering taking the instructional designer certification in the fall. Oh, and so, and that's in addition, oh, Jerry, to your in, point. in addition to the one. Yeah, you that's in addition did. to what you, you like. You've already jumped over the hoop. So at this point, it's just about continuing to go back mm. to practice every day. You're going back to practice, and you're just gonna keep shooting your shot. But as far as incurring an additional expense, talking about somebody with hundreds of thousands of dollars Girl. of student loans, don't do that. Don't do that, sis. I don't think it's required. No, I just don't think it's required. Not now, at all. that may not help you become employed at this particular place, but there are other places mm-hmm. to become employed. And I say it's about continuing to put your name in the hat. Yeah, she's going to lead me right into your one of your nice pieces of content that I want to talk about. Okay. But my advice, Valerie, is sometimes you encounter leadership that they don't really know how to coach you through <laughs> and to help you level up. They don't really know what to do or say. So they tell you just to go get some more education. It's just stalling. It's just stalling because if all you needed was that certification, there should have been a plan in place. You're enrolling in this certification and then there's a 90 day plan or there's a six month plan. You know, here's the role that I see for you. And I think everybody who's listening, right? Like don't take the bait. If they don't have a plan in place, here's what's going to happen when you get this degree or when you enroll, don't do it because they are stalling and they really just don't know how to help you (laughs) level up. So Talisa, recently you posted a piece of content that said over-credentialing is not a fast pass to the front of the line. And I think Valerie is like a living testimony. But what was your motivation for this post? So my motivation was a conversation with somebody similar to Valerie, but also thinking about myself. When I completed my MBA, then I thought somebody was going to like pull me in the office Mm -hmm. and say, oh, wow, congratulations, you've graduated. So now you're going to get an extra X amount of dollars a year. And I was like looking around after I finished. I'm like, I graduated. I told my manager, I graduated. Here's my degree. I graduated. And she's like, okay, congratulations. And we went on and nothing ever happened. And I, at that time, didn't know to advocate for myself, didn't know to even ask a question. So I didn't even say anything. But that's really when I decided that this post was about, took me back to that time when I was confused in that same way. And what that really means is just like I think probably in Valerie's case, you have the education, you have the experience, and you obviously have the exposure in this particular area. This particular district is not the only district in the world. The beauty of COVID is that now we have opportunities across from outside of your zip code. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's another district that's looking for the level of expertise that you have that will be willing to allow you to work for them in a hybrid basis. I guess what I'm saying is, I think the myth of this over-credentialing, you need this degree and this certification still don't automatically equal the job. So why not try it with the level of expertise that you have? Because maybe where the real story is, is not that you need something additional, but you need to be able to learn how to better sell, Mm -hmm. communicate what you already have accomplished. Like you've already done this thing. So let's talk about how good that is and why it matters, how that's going to help you in this role. That's really the thing that needs to be sold more so than another certification that you may or not have even have experience in, if that makes sense. 100% it makes sense. I mean, once you're in the room, any additional education you get, it should be because you want to, because it's a passion of yours, right? right? Like it may or may not amount to anything. One of your other posts, you say, I want imposter syndrome. Who said imposter syndrome is a bad thing? And I think 
maybe over-credentialing, is it a just a method of trying to overcome imposter syndrome? What you think? Probably, yeah, I think that's a good connection. You may make me inspire another post. But yeah, <laughs> oh, <laughs> that definitely could probably tie together. But this imposter syndrome, I want it. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, imposter syndrome, I just can't do it. No, 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 I want imposter syndrome. Because to me, I think if you reframe Imposter syndrome, you can win against it. What happens is so often people are saying, well, I'm comparing myself to other people, but I want to be an EVP of a talent agency one day, the largest talent agency for women of color. Okay. Okay. That's what I want to be. I've never done that before. Mm -hmm. So once in fact, I become this EVP, I am going to emulate somebody. That's true. I'm going because I've never done it. So it's really okay. And even while I am emulating said person, I'm still going to add Talisa's secret sauce to it because I'm me and I'm going to bring all of my experience and exposure and education to that particular role. So I think it's about the reframe. It's nothing wrong with comparing yourself to someone else. All little boys that play basketball want to be LeBron. Right. Except for, except for Desmond Baines, but that's all not time. But <laughs> they all want to be LeBron. This is your mark. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and that's really okay. We all need to have a goal and aspiration. But when you reframe it to say, I've never done it and I'm going to give it all I got, I'm going to watch this person that's in front of me, but I'm going to do all I can to either, if not meet where they are, go beyond that. That's not a problem to me. I want the opportunity. I'm chasing it. Absolutely. A light bulb just went off in my head. I absolutely love the way you just reframe that. Because what I received was that instead of feeling like I'm not good enough, period, because that's typically what what imposter syndrome, I'm not good enough, period. It's like, who is at the top of the mountain? And it's like, while I'm not comparing myself to them, I'm simply trying to emulate some of the things that I have seen them do. For me, that makes it like a no-brainer. Drop in the chat if you uh, have ever struggled with imposter syndrome and if you like Talisa's uh, explanation. Because <laughs> I agree with you. Then it's like, you're not being fake. You're not less than. Of course, I'm not as good of a player as LeBron. Like, of right. course. And that's yeah. okay. That's really okay. But that should fuel me, right? That yeah. should that should encourage me to get to the gym every day, to know that I got to practice. And I got to go to the free mm. throw line maybe for two hours if he goes one hour. I got to go on Saturdays. I got to go after church. I got to get back to the free throw line. Because LeBron is out here. And I'm trying to get there. It's really okay. I'm going to get the best place that Talisa can be. But I got to continue to have something to put my eye on. It's like keeping your eye on a target, almost. Love that. When I asked you what your smartest career money move was, you said throwing away a lot of the garbage advice that you had had heard. And so in one of your recent posts, you also talked about how you could have made $40,000 more if you had avoided these three mistakes. What were those three mistakes? Yeah, so what I talked about there was about how men are hired based on you know, Charlie really has the potential to be a really dynamic leader in the in the future. But when they look at women, they say, well, what has Talisa done to actually get this mm. role? And what I allowed things in the past to do as I compared myself to some of my male colleagues was really stop me from even going after a role. If there was a role and if I didn't meet 100% of the criteria, so if it's 10 items on the list and I didn't meet all 10, or 11 that they didn't even have on the paper, I didn't apply. And I think there's, to your point, you got to know you're a data person. There's a stat that says men will apply for a role if they meet 60% of the criteria. 
they apply. If I believe it's probably 30, they apply. You know, right? <laughs> I did. Women are like, if it's one conjunction that they don't meet, they're like, oh no, can't apply for that. I don't qualify. They're not going to mm-hmm. come in. And I think that that is such a misnomer. And I was susceptible to it. I did that myself, uh, which I know shortchanged me and kind of delayed my ascent okay. into leadership. Because I was afraid to step out and really take a chance on myself. And then when I had the opportunity, I didn't know what to say. I didn't, because mm. I didn't write down any of the things that I did. I was just trying to do all the things. I didn't know to tell anybody. So I just did it and kept doing it. The next, every time they raised the bar, I kept jumping over it. Mm-hmm. But I never wrote it down. So if you were to ask me, well, tell me about a time when you walk water. I'm like, oh, I, don't, I can't remember. So now you have nothing, no data to support what you've actually brought to the table. So it was not keeping track of your accomplishments, trying to meet all the qualifications. And then was it one other one? Did I miss one? Oh, let me see what else I talked about. Oh, I talked about not meeting the criteria. Oh, and there was one. The other thing that I learned is that men ideally are thought of as leaders. But when there's a woman in leadership, it's like, that's such a unique situation. Because, you know, women can't really lead. They're often so emotional. They really can't do it. We don't want her to be too bold, too aggressive, that kind of thing, which caused me to kind of quiet my voice. And kind of, I don't want to say dumb down, but I definitely quieted my personality rather than saying, this is who I am. I'm bold, I'm direct, and I see it. I'm in it. I love doing these podcast interviews, and you know why? Because it gets my brain going. (laughs) And like, just so many things, just they call it, I call it um, a download. So many things just get downloaded. You were talking about why, you know, men are judged based on potential and women are based on what they've done. And I just took a note. I think in society, period, especially Mm -hmm. in corporate, men are viewed as dreamers and women are viewed as doers. And that is why, that's why it's okay for a man to be judged on his potential because it's like, he's only supposed to dream. And so we're women, we're being judged on our, what we've done Cause we're supposed to be doing mm-hmm. like that's yeah. in somebody's head somewhere. I mean, that's the expectation. I yeah. had never really put those two sentences together, but I mean, I think that kind of explains why people struggle to view women as leaders because they expect you to be doing. Absolutely. And I think there's also that we, in, and so again, I go back, I think the system was not designed for us. So long, for so long, we've tried to figure out how to fit in. If you think about so often I see when we go, there's a meeting right in the boardroom and the men are all around the table and there are two women or there's a woman in the room. The first thing that she does is she opens her binder, pulls out a pen, and every time somebody says something, she taking notes. Men don't take notes in meetings. They sit back and talk about it. They just sit back and talk. Oh, well, yeah, Billy, da-da-da-da-da. It's just conversation. But the woman has a full transcript of what happened. And it's just amazing how these norms just become what our reality is. And we kind of fall back down into being less than when I think there's opportunity. Don't open your notebook. Why you got to take the minutes? If don't nobody remember, oh, well. Especially if that ain't a part of your job. (laughs) Oh, well, they don't remember. Yeah, I think it's important to note that why are you taking the notes? Why are you taking the minutes? If you're taking notes... Because somebody says something you want to follow up on right. or something that you want to take and run with in the next meeting. That's the gem from that. It's like, yeah. we, ain't, we ain't documenting the, the call now. Right. <laughs> right. My notes right. is for yeah. me. So when John comes and says, 
can you send out the, the meeting? Even if you are taking notes, can you see that send out the meeting minutes? I cannot because I was actually taking notes about points A, <laughs> B, and C, and I'm getting prepared for next week's call. I don't know. Maybe you should ask somebody else. That's how you do it professionally. There you go. Let's there see. it is. Veronica says, very true fact about males. I've experienced it and have been told to dominate from a promotion, have been told to denominate from a promotion because they wanted Hector to have it because they didn't know how to discipline him. Come on. I've been told to dumb down and now I'm stuck. Oh, wow. Veronica, you got to leave, baby. Oh, this yeah. is, that was Valerie above. I thought this was Valerie again. I was like, oh no, I would never dumb myself down. I'd go somewhere else who valued me. Yep. I mean, it's time to go. Very true about notes, but it has saved me. My notes are for me. And I say, no, I love that. Yes, your notes are for you. So I want to get your opinion to Lisa on some things that are kind of just floating around in the internet streets and and in the news, because we both kind of work with people looking for jobs and in their careers. And so there are reports that jobs growth, it's surging in the U.S. despite the recession fears. Who do you think has the upper hand in the market right now? Is it the employees or the employers? You know, I was having this conversation with someone actually a, a few days ago, and I honestly feel like it's the employee in many ways because I go back to this whole COVID situation. You know, a few years back, pre-pandemic, you were regulated to jobs within your zip code unless you wanted to move. But now the opportunities are so vast mm-hmm. because the whole, you know, the whole playing field has opened up. And, you know, many companies, I know my former company at one point, managers, leadership roles had mm-hmm. to be based in Memphis. But now that same company that I used to work for, they're hiring managers, directors. They don't care where they live. And But that's this post-pandemic world. And so... I do think that now because of that, it gives employees many more options they originally had in the past. And I think that's a good thing. I think you do need to keep your options open because there are people like Valerie and like what Veronica just talked about who need to really think about what else can I do? Because this place, this role is no longer serving and there's not an opportunity here. And being stuck is relative now. Yep. Being stuck is is relative because there's somebody else, maybe at a different company in a different location, who can probably help you get unstuck and would be happy to have you. And Jerry, I want to go back to what we were talking about. Uh, I talked about the resume thing because I don't want somebody to think that I don't think that's important. Resumes are super, super important. And there are tons of great resume coaches on LinkedIn that, that do that. I think that piece is important, but really where I really focus on and what I'm passionate about is helping women navigate post-resume interview that process, kind of the middle part of the funnel. Once you have the role, now how do we get you into, if not your first leadership role, into the next level of leadership? Mm -hmm. How do we help you navigate those roles or those spaces that have never been, that that are not communicated, right? You can't put in chat GPT, how do I navigate in the boardroom? It's not going to help you. It's not there. I'm glad you brought up chat GPT. (laughs) My next thing I wanted to ask you about was, and uh, what the headline is right now is that it's estimated that AI could replace more than 300 million jobs worldwide. Are you using AI? And what do you think employees should do to make sure they're not impacted? Oh my gosh. You know, I think that, especially in the, you know, in the space that I'm in the technology space, Mm -hmm. especially in our space, I think this whole chat GPT, this AI is obviously brand new territory and companies are trying to figure out 
how to navigate it, what is it going to mean? You know, are employees putting their data out here in who knows where, in whoever's Mm. hands and things like that. So I think that that space and how we protect, how companies are protecting their data going forward related to AI is going to be a, a huge issue. But the second thing around it taking jobs and impacting the job market, while I do think that there are some rote jobs where that I could see that being the case, but I also still believe that when you think about leadership roles, there mm-hmm. are still roles that require that authentic human emotional engagement that you can't teach to chat GPT. AI can do its best. But it's still not going to spit out the same type of uh, response or deliverable. So Mm. I I can see some roles impacted, but I don't think everything will be impacted and we're just going to be in the jets somewhere. I don't see it. (laughs) Yeah, I like that you made that distinction, though. So some people who have very transactional roles, they may need to look into some sort of way of adding value beyond the transaction because the AI can perform the transaction. But I like the distinction that you made that. There are just various aspects of being a leader in an organization that it's just so day to day, so move on a dime that like you do need that human piece to it sometimes. And so you guys drop any of your, uh, we're, we're nearing the end of our interview here. It's been, I've gotten so many things in my head. So Lisa was talking about, I inspired some content for her, have like three posts in me from today's conversation. <laughs> but what advice do you have? For that woman out there who is struggling, what advice do you want to leave the audience with today about becoming a leader as a woman? I think it really depends on where you're struggling. And Mm -hmm. I think first you need to really assess where, really identify where the problem is. I think we had two really great examples from Veronica and Valerie. And I feel like just based on what we've heard, and clearly that's just an anecdote, but based on what we heard in those spaces, that culture is not serving them. So Mm. that means it is probably somewhere, you know, that you need to move somewhere else. What you will know about me is that I'm an advocate for people promoting in their existing space. I don't advocate for people necessarily to leave their companies. I'm saying, hey, if you're in marketing, maybe there's an opportunity for you in sales. Maybe there's an opportunity for you in IT. Explore that space where you are leveraging your existing skill set. I think it's really, it boils down to just a few things. One, it's about building relationships. Other people have to know who you are. Most often, if you reach out to a leader in another area, they are going to talk to you. 15 minutes, 20 minutes of their time, a virtual coffee chat just to understand who they are, what they've done, what was their career journey. People enjoy talking about themselves. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is that you are able to pick up nuggets. What did they do differently? What are they doing? Maybe it's something that you can take away and you can leverage it, you know, put your own uh, spin on that particular thing. But not only about building relationships, I think that you have to open your mouth. You have to let go Mm -hmm. of being private. The next thing is that allowing people to see you for who you are. Because private about your job is one thing, but I think another thing is that people hire people. And if you seem robotic, if you cannot talk about anything else but work, you can't talk about your cat, your dog, your goldfish, it becomes a problem because I can't, I don't get to see you as human. Everybody that knows me knows that I have a son. I do. I talk about it. Yeah. Okay? Some people are like, oh, that's my family. I don't want to talk about them. But you put them on Facebook. So why you can't talk about them at work? I didn't say give him his social security number, but talk about it. Talk about your grandmama. Find something 
that you're safe and you're comfortable in talking about because you want people to understand and be able to see this human side of you. Because as I talked about earlier, two things happen in the interview. Can you solve my problems? And are you going to blow up my team? The blow up my team part is I need to know how you're going to fit in my culture. What's important to you? What do you like? And we don't always do that. And when people can't see that authentic, that it's a human on the other side, many times that's the reason why you don't get Mm -hmm. the next step, why you don't get the job offer. It's not because you don't meet the qualifications. It's that I didn't like talking to you. Like you weren't fun to talk to. You didn't smile at Mm -hmm. me. During the interview, the whole thing, you were looking stone faced. You answered and you shut up. And you said like this the whole time. My name is Talisa. <laughs> so oh, you're making me laugh. I know the listeners of the Smart Career Money Moves podcast and the people that are going to watch it on YouTube and the people who are here live today, they want to follow you. Where can we find you? Where can we support you? Where can we learn more about Talisa? More importantly, how can they work with you? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jerry. I am on LinkedIn, Talisa Payne Mason. That's me. I'm here all day, every day. So- <laughs> Follow me, reach out to me. Happy to talk to you, happy to support. Uh, And if I'm not the person to support you, I know tons of career coaches. Depending on where you are, I think the most important thing for me is to see women get ahead. And I can't work with all the women in the world, but I know some dynamic career coaches that can support you wherever you are in your journey. Whatever the thing is, you know, if you're an HR professional that wants to excel in HR, then Nikisha Hicks is your coach. That's what she does. So, if, in fact, you want to get your resume redone, that's what you need. Nadeja is your person. I know people that can help mm. you. I just want to see women get ahead. But if you're not understanding why you're not able to navigate your career space and why I think you have the job, you're just spinning, then I'm the girl to talk to. So let's talk about mm. what's happening and how we can fix it. Well, you guys, that was a mic drop. So <laughs> unless there's any other questions... I want to just say thank you so much for sharing all that knowledge. I mean, it was all of your best content wrapped up in 40 minutes. So thank you so much for being a guest today. I can't wait to see more from you. I know this is just the beginning. I can't wait to see where you continue to take your brand. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jerry. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you love this episode as much as I did, be sure to hit the subscribe button, leave a five-star review, or share this podcast with those in your network that are striving to make smart career and money moves. Till next week. Bye.